We had a good time in Tulsa. We were out of town last week, Ruby and I. We got to see a lot of our old friends. We got to see Nathan and Lori and the, the girls and Richard and Natalie. I'm good. I've got one. Got to have some really good meetings um, with a, a very diverse group of people. We got to have meetings at a, an Indian church. So there were people from India, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, a lot of foreign countries that, you know, they're, they're here and the, so they have a church together and so it was interesting, you know, we got to see some different aspects of their culture and got to eat some wonderful Indian food. I got to eat some goat, which was amazing. I love it. I love goat. Um, they, you know, they were singing a few songs. Most of their songs were in English, but they would do a few in, I don't even know what language it was. It might have been Hindi. It might have been Urdu. There's a couple different languages that are floating around there. So I don't even know what it was, but it was, it was cool to, to be a part of that. And, you know, so they, you know, they're even their worship team, a lot of times very traditional dress. They had their, um, um, not a turban, but a, uh, like a tunic. The guys will even wear like a tunic and these like real airy pants that like, and not even and be barefoot most of the time. I'm like, these are my people. Like the, you know, I could be up there leading worship barefoot. I'm like, yes, these are my people. I have found my, I've found my tribe, but, uh, so it was really enjoyable. They were very sincere very uh, hungry after the things of the Lord. Just, you know, they would instantly just be crying out to the Lord in praise. It was really, really wonderful. Um, I think uh, Pastor Nathan was, was the one doing the meetings, but it was good to be a part of those. Uh, myself got to help out in different things, pray for some people, stuff like that. So it was good. Um, I think, it will, I think uh, at least Nathan, I think th- that will not be the last time that we come together. That was the feeling that I think everybody had and... Uh, and you know the the pastor's granddaughter got filled with the Holy Ghost one night. So uh, like Nathan was saying, I think I think this guy's a friend for life. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, you, you get the pastor's granddaughter filled with the Holy Spirit, you're you're on good terms, right? So anyway, so it was really really good time of, of refreshing in the Lord. So anyway, transformation today, talking about Romans or I'm sorry, talking about transformation. Romans chapter twelve is where we're going to start. This is just kind of the um, the verse that we kind of keep coming back to as Romans 12 starts in verse one. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable or what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. And so that's just kind of the the real broad broad stroke brush that uh, God has asked us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him, holy and acceptable. And a big part of that is transformation. Um, you know, He says that He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And so, as a, as a big part of that is transformation to to put off the things that that we are no longer. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but. I think that uh, it's important to understand. We're going to start kind of in the middle of this of this uh, sheet here, where it says "free from sin." That's where I'm going to start. But I think even before you get to that, I think it's very important to understand the, our our identity in Christ, as we are His children, and and He is in us, and we are in Him, and there is no separation there. We can come boldly before Him. Um. That's one of the, if, you know, if you, if you look back, okay, we go back to Genesis. God creates man and woman 
in His image, it says, right? In His image, it creates them. And He comes and He has fellowship with them on on a daily basis. But then sin comes in. Separation. Uh, And we know, we know the story. You know, they fall to temptation. But even in that moment, God gives hope. He he speaks to the woman. He said, your seed will bruise the head of the serpent. In other words, your, your seed will defeat him. Right? Even in that moment. So he begins pointing to Christ right away. Christ born, born of the seed of a woman, right? <clears throat> and so everything from that moment forward was pointing to Christ. The whole Old Testament pointing to Christ, pointing to Him. Because it was God's desire that that relationship be restored. That image be restored. That, that fellowship be restored, right? You know, and through, all throughout the Old Testament, men could not directly access God. Even if you, if you were part of the Jewish faith, you could not directly access God. You had to come through the priest. You had to talk to the priest. The priest would go and talk to God. The priest would go and do these things. If you were a Gentile like me, you had no hope whatsoever, right? You were just stuck. You were, you were on the outside looking in. What a heartbreaking uh, situation, really. One of my, and that's why Jesus came. He came to open it up to everyone to come. Come, he said, come. Restore that fellowship. That one of the most wonderful things that happened after Jesus died. You know, it's 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 just one or two verses that talks about it. It says that that veil, right? That veil in the temple. What was that for? It was to enter into the holy of holies. The only person that was allowed to go in there was the high priest. That was where God's glory resided. When Jesus died, that temple, that veil, that big curtain. It said it was ripped in half from top to bottom. Jesus' way of saying, come, all of you, come, come, come. You can have fellowship with me. Amen? That's, a, that's an amazing thing. And that's so part, we have to understand that as our identity. That's who we are. We are His children. We can have fellowship with Him. He is in us and we are in Him. And that, and that we are free from sin. Okay, that's what we're going to get into here in just a minute. Um, Ephesians, let's go to Ephesians. Don't get too far from Romans. <laughs> We will be back in Romans. Ephesians chapter 5. This is talking about freedom from sin. In that middle section there. Ephesians chapter 5 and and verse 8. Well, let's start in verse verse 6. Actually, let's just start in verse (laughs) 1. I'm sorry, it's all too good. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Therefore, you, talking about me, you and I, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sweet sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling aroma. So we're called to be imitators of God. He would not call you to do something that you can't do. That's That's why we have his spirit in us. And we're in him and him in us so that we can be imitators of him. We can walk like Him, talk like Him, act like Him. And then he goes on to, to, to share this. This is a, just a partial list of, of, of things that we're to put off. But fornication and all uncleanness all, or covetousness, let it, not even, let it not even be named among you as is fitting saints. The old King James says, not it let, don't let it be named once among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, 
or unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, isn't it interesting that he gives this list of things and then immediately says, let no one deceive you. See, there's a lot, 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 lot of the church world at large right now that is walking in, in deception, particularly in this area of, of fornication. Now, fornication, that's it's really the same word. When, every time when you see fornication, adultery, sexual immorality in, in the Bible, it's usually it's always the same word. They just kind of have to pick one. Right. And so it's all lumped together, uh, all of those things. And so, you know, much, much, much of the body of Christ is stumbling in these areas. Um, our young people, you know, I was I was sharing uh, uh, at I think I was sharing with Roberta. It's been about a couple years ago or so. We we got to, we went to a, a Todd White conference. You know, we're talking about the power and love. He was in Tulsa and he gave this powerful message on repentance and talking about these kinds of things, walking to to, to put off fornication and sexual immorality and all this stuff. And I was so blown away. He gave it like an altar call, repentance kind of thing. And there was a lot of kids, that, a lot of young people there from, from that church, from uh, ORU, right across the street, Oral Roberts University, right across the street from Victory. And so there was a ton of people there. And I, 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 I really feel like probably three-fourths of the place got up, come down to the altar. It's a wonderful thing, but I'm thinking, why in the world is, are so many people in repentance for, for sexual immorality in this church and in this Christian college. Why? It's because they don't understand who they are. They have not been, they don't see who they are. They don't have, they, they, they've lost their way. And much of the ter- church world will tell you, it's okay. God knows your heart. His grace covers it. God, God, God sees you. You just keep loving him and everything's going to be okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Like I said, the old King James says, I don't know if anybody in here has one or not. It says, don't let these things be named one time among you. Why? Because it says it's not becoming of you. It's not it doesn't it's not fitting. That's what the old King James says is becoming. It doesn't become you. There's an old way of saying, you know, uh, if you if you had somebody that, oh, those that that outfit is very becoming. It looks good on you. Right. It's becoming. Well, it says these things are not becoming. So they don't look good on us as saints of God. So, you know, and, and, and not to even, you know, like I said, so many of our young people are, are being swallowed up in, in sexual immorality. So many of our, our men and women are held captive to, uh, there's no kids in here, right? No, they're held captive, well, you're, you're good. Held captive to pornography, right? It's an epidemic in the body of Christ. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but it is an absolute epidemic in the body of Christ because it is so prevalent. Everywhere you look, there is lust, lust, lust thrown in your face. And there are, uh, there are men and women that are held captive to these things all through the church. And it is a form of fornication. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed sin. You've committed adultery or fornication in your heart just by that action. And so um, it does not take a rocket scientist to put that together with fornication and understand or um, with pornography and understand how that's wrong. I might as well get it. So (laughs) 
we're going to get back to our handout. You know, a lot of people tell me uh, sometimes that, you know, Zach, you're, you know, you're a good preacher. You're good at this. You seem like you're just not, you're not nervous. You're comfortable. Blah, 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 blah. It's all very true. The reason for that is because my upbringing was, it was in a, a, a Christian home, but it was a little bit messed up, to be quite honest. And so there was a lot of things happening in that environment that were not right. And uh, I was actually more or less forced at a very young age to start preaching the Word of God. My family saw that calling on me, which is true, and, uh, but it was very strong-armed, right? So I began preaching the Word of God about 16, 15, 16 years old, um, you know, get involved in worship. But it was very, there was very controlling, it was very manipulative. It was like, uh, you need to, you're going to preach for 10 minutes. If you don't preach for 10 minutes, um, God's not going to be pleased with you. Uh, it's going to open up the, the door for the enemy in your life. You know, just all this nonsense stuff. But the end result of that it was, obviously, I've been preaching for a very long time. <laughs> and so, uh, but the reason I say that is because at about that same time, about that same uh, time frame, I became addicted to pornography. Um, I still remember my gateway, right? Sports Illustrated swimsuit calendar. I was at my mom in Walmart. There it was, you know, see more, sportsillustrated.com. Well, by golly, well, I think I will, you know. And then it led into more and more and more. Because, see, once lust and perversion gets its claws in you, it's never satisfied. It wants more and more and more and more. It demands more and more of you. And it's, uh, that's why there's so many things out there that are so twisted and so perverse is because it demands more and more of you. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But my point to this is the whole time I'm growing up in my teens and even in my early 20s, I'm still preaching the word of God. I'm still singing and blessing his name, but I'm still bound to pornography among many other things, you know, filthy Filthy communication, filthy, well, you know, filthy movies. That was my entertainment. So, and the whole time, my, my conscience, which we'll get into the conscience, my conscience is telling me, stop, stop, stop doing these things. Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And see, I was bound, kind of like some of those young people I was talking about, I was bound in a slightly different way with the, the, the teaching and the doctrine I was brought up in told me that I was not strong enough to stop told me that I, that I had to strive to reach to a certain point and then you'll be free. You know, all these kind of things. You have to pray enough, pray enough to get strong enough to overcome. You know, how long are you going to have to pray? Well, these people are praying seven, eight hours a day. Well, I can't do that, so I'm not going to be free, evidently. So, but eventually, truth came. Praise God. Begin to walk in obedience and got free from those things. And I was going to share... That later, I just felt to share it now instead. But my point is, was that it's not okay. And there's many, many of the church world that are living just like that. And, um, you know, it says here in in Ephesians, it says that uh, these people who who are living in fornication, that they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God. And I've often wondered... You know, I, I know God's mercy is great, but I've often wondered uh, what would have happened to me in that state because it was not an OK state. I was not right with God, even though I was coming to church, even though I was preaching, even though I was singing worship songs. Uh, my heart was not right with him. And I don't know. And, and that's a very dangerous place to be. If you can say, I don't know, uh, you know, it, uh, what what my status is. 
It's a very dangerous position to be in. We should have full assurance with our life and with our heart and with our conscience that our relationship with God is okay. And for many years, mine was not. I did not see it all at that time. And so I've looked back in the past and it's made me very afraid of, of I'm just, and just thankful for God's mercy and His grace. Anyway, uh, still in Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 8, this is where we're going. For you and I were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. So it's given us a glimpse as to who we are. It says you were. Past tense, you were darkness. Past tense. But now, right now, in this present moment, you are light in the Lord. So your instructions are to walk as a child of light. Walk forward as a child of light. Okay? Freedom from sin. Uh, As new creatures, I'm reading from the handout now. As new creatures, our faith is placed in a new identity that that we receive from Jesus. We are made righteous by the finished work of Christ. Our job is to live and walk in the righteousness that He provided and to put off the old man. Mortification from sin should be a fruit in the life of every believer. It has Colossians uh, 3, 5 through 10 here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Remember we talked earlier about we have that same image as him. We're being renewed into that image. We're being brought more and more and more into that image all the time. We're still in Romans, right? Uh, keep you keep a finger there. I want to talk just a little, really. I mean, I know most of us have heard a lot of these things, but it's good to be uh, refreshed. And so Romans uh, six is where I want to go. We may start in five, honestly. Romans uh, six, seven, and eight are some of the most important passages in the Bible, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. There's a lot of it that starts in 5. <laughs> um, 5 and... Let's start just toward the end of 5. And I may do a lot of reading here, and that's okay. I think it's good to read the Bible in church. Is that all right? Uh, Romans 5 and 18 It says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. He's talking about Adam. Resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. He's talking about Jesus. Resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That's you and I. I hope you know that. That's me. That's you. You were made righteous by his... His uh, obedience to the cross. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. He's talking about the the old covenant, the Old Testament. 
But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that His grace might abound? Certainly not. If you have an old King James, it's going to say, God forbid. <laughs> no. If you look those up, if you look that word up in the Greek, you know what it means? No. <laughs> it means no. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That's a very important thing to understand. That's why he says here, do you not know that as many, in verse 3, do you not know that as many of us were baptized unto Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? And he explains it further in verse 6, that our old man, the old lifestyle, the old person was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. So that old man was crucified with him. Um, even, you know, I've, I've often thought for myself, I was, I was saved at a very young age. So by what old man are we talking about? But it, it is anything that is not like him. Anything that is not, that is of that sinful nature, that is of that sinful habits, it was crucified with him. Right? It gets, what, what this does is it levels the playing field. What this does is it gets rid of all of our excuses. You know, uh, in my, my own life, I've looked back and thought, you know, uh, my dad had a temper. He'd get mad. He'd scream. He'd throw stuff around sometimes. And so kind of normal for me to maybe get mad, scream, throw stuff around sometimes. I'm not talking like abusive or anything like that. I'm talking about like if you're in the, <laughs> I distinctly remember this. My dad was working on his chainsaw one day and he was having a lot of trouble with it and it, I don't know, the little spring or something popped out and he just screamed and got mad and just threw the whole chainsaw across the, across the, across, you know, right? He didn't think anybody was watching him, but I, I saw it and it like kind of scared me. But then you begin to think, oh, that's what you do when you get mad, right? That's how you react when you get upset about something. And then, you know, you grow up with that pattern. Well, it's not an excuse because Jesus or Paul says here that our old man, that old past, that way of living, your upbringing, your habits, your family issues, was crucified with Christ. So it gets rid of all of our excuses. It takes it all off the table. Crucified with Him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, which we all did, right? We believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Right? This is a little bit wordy, a little bit confusing sometimes. But what he, and then he, he sums it up here. Likewise, you also, that's you and me, reckon. <laughs> my, my Bible says reckon. Does your Bible say reckon? might say consider. That's a more proper word. But I like to reckon. You know, I'm, I have a southern upbringing, and so I've done a lot of reckoning in my day, you know. I reckon we ought to go over here. I reckon we ought to, you know, except you say it a lot faster. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm having to slow it down. 
for our northern climate here. Because uh, so it would be more, let's see. I reckon we ought to. Yeah, right, that's right. Yeah, well, you're to Kentucky, right? Yeah, you're familiar. Yeah, reckon we ought to, right? That means, I think, after much consideration and deliberation, that we should do the following activity, right? Reckon we ought to, okay? Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And for this reason, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members, your body, your, your heart, your soul. Your, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. You know, and, and so that, that flows right back to Romans 12 where he says to present yourself a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God. And this is where a lot of people get tripped up. You know, shall we, what then shall we continue in sin? Because we are under the law, or not under the law, but under grace. Again, no, certainly not. God forbid. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or whether of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. And, oh goodness, there's so much... So much good stuff there, but I'm going to stop for right now. Um, there's, I think, I don't think we need to go over that. You know, Romans 7 is where many people get tripped up. Um, I will hit that real quick, just, just so you can, just a couple things that if you encounter maybe someone else, because this class is not just for us, it is so that we can be equipped to disciple other people, right? That's, and so there's a couple things, you know, people get caught up in Romans 7, um, where he says, basically, for the things that I desire to do, I can't do. And I end up doing uh, what I don't want to do. That's what I end up doing, right? Um, there's just a couple things that I want to point out. Um, I believe Romans 7 is, uh, is Paul taking the perspective of, of someone who is under the old covenant with, with the Mosaic law, in effect, Right? Not, not with Christ Jesus. And there's a couple, couple reasons why I say that. One is in chapter 7 and verse 1. He, sa- he starts off, Do you not know, brethren? And then he says, For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So he, he, he's addressing, he says, I'm talking to those who are familiar with the law, the law of Moses. Right. So he goes on to, to say all these things. And then... Um, you know, he says the famous, I know that nothing good dwells in me and I can't do what I want to do. And here in about uh, 23, 7, 23, he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Um, something else here is I believe he answers his own question. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. But then he goes on to say, So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. 
but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, right? That leaves you kind of feeling pretty bleak. Okay, so the, my flesh, it serves the law of sin. But if you go on to Romans 8, see, the, there was no, when this was written, there was no, no, no stopping. They, the, these chapters were added later. He's not changing the subject. He goes on in verse eight or chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It has made me free from the law of sin and death. Right. So he said he says in seven, uh, seven and twenty five that with the flesh we serve the law of sin. But he says in eight and two that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. Right. So he's he's talking of, of better things, better things through Christ Jesus. That's why he's talking, because if you're in Christ Jesus, you do not walk according to the flesh. You walk according to the spirit and you've been set free from the law of sin and death. If you want a little more evidence, you can go on to to um, verse nine or verse eight. You know, this this is the verses that we get tripped up on because they're in seven, actually, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, that's me, right? No, it's not you. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, right? Does the spirit of God dwell in you? Are you born again? Have you bowed the knee and claimed him as savior? Then the spirit of life dwells in you, right? If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of, is life because of righteousness. Amen. I just wanted to hit that real quick. <laughs> I think we all we all know these things, but these are this is good. Um, these are good tools in your belt, right, so to speak, when you, if you come across even a fellow believer, maybe who's struggling with that understanding, who's bound up to sin, right? Um, so I think we have firmly established that we are free from sin, and I, I, I wanted to, to get that. It's, it's, it's so, honestly, we could talk about it a lot, and it's something that needs to be hit a lot and need, you need to refresh yourself in that. That's why I said Romans 6, 7, 8, and probably five, really important to that we are meditating on those things in our private time to really constantly have it in your mind that you are free, you are free, you are free, because it's who you are. Really walking free from sin, walking in transformation, um, it is walking as who you are in Him. It's who, walking is as who are you, excuse me, who you are supposed to be, who, who we are supposed to be. Amen? Uh, at the top of the page, I kind of... Re, reordered these just a little bit. What is the conscience? What is the conscience? I had an old pastor who referred to the conscience as the mechanism of righteousness. And I think that is a wonderful, wonderful picture of what the conscience is, the mechanism of righteousness. Everyone who has experienced the new birth has an instant knowing of right and wrong. This is evidence that God's law has been written in our hearts. Hebrews 8.10 says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Although the conscience may mean something else to non-believers, to us it is a continual witness that we are now one with Christ. And if you, staying in Romans, if you flip back to chapter 2, there's a wonderful example of this happening going on he's talking about the gentiles getting born again uh romans chapter 2 and starting in verse 14 it says for when the gentiles who do not have the law in other words they don't have that 10 commandments posted above you know on their bedroom wall right 
The, the Gentiles who do not have the law, they by nature, they do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, they have become a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. All right. So he's painting a picture of what was happening with these Gentile believers that were keeping the things that were in the law, right? Thou shalt not covet, shall not have, uh, you know, go after your neighbor's wife. You don't, thou shalt not commit adultery, shalt not steal, kill. They were doing all these things and more because they had been born again and that conscience was, had come alive in them, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about with conscience? Well, you're about to do something that is, you know, that is not right and you have just that, that feeling, that, that inner... Uh, unrest you maybe your heart starts beating fast your brain and your thoughts are saying stop don't do this don't do this you know conscience right it is christ in you it's christ in you the holy ghost in you bearing witness of who you are of 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 what you are free from sin saying don't do this don't act outside of who you are don't act in a manner that is not fitting for the saints of god right the conscience now, a conscience can be, uh, it can become seared. It can become quiet. The more we override the conscience, right, it, it begins to become harder and harder to hear it. And you can get to the point where the Bible talks about people having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. In other words, they've overridden their conscience so much to where they no longer feel, they no longer feel that. They no longer have that witness, Right. And so if there's areas, I, I know uh, there's been times where I've had to uh, repent and ask the Lord for his forgiveness. And it says in 1 John 1, 9, it says that, that if we ask, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I believe that has everything to do with your conscience becoming pure and clean and sensitive. But that's something that takes place between us and him in a very private, private way, right? It's a repentance. Um, but that conscience can be kept very sensitive. Um, a big part of that is so much we talk about, it, but it's so crucial is consistent fellowship with the Lord, consistent intimacy with him, taking that time on a daily basis to to get quiet and to and to worship him and praise him and read his word and, and pray and all these things. It keeps your mind, your conscience, your everything in a very sensitive place. Right. So the conscience works by. Uh, first, you feel that you feel that uh, I don't you know, it's it's a it's a conviction. It's a uh, it's a, a knowing whatever you want to call it. But the, the key to it is found in our bottom section. Like I said, I kind of reordered these a little bit is obedience. Obedience brings change. The voice of the spirit through our conscience is one of the chief ways that Jesus communicates with his people. We continually get prompts from our conscience about things we ought to change. Transformation is not a complicated process, but many times the things we know we should change, we allow to stay. Knowledge without action is no better than blindness. In fact, Jesus says it is worse. See Luke twelve forty-seven through 48. We won't turn there, but to sum it up, it says that the servant who knew his master's will and did not do it was punished far more severely than the servant who did not know his master's will and, of course, didn't do it because he didn't know it. 
And so our conscience is, is a, uh, a witness testifying of what God's will is, among other things. When we are faithful to obey what we know to do, God can add more instruction to us. Walk in what you know, and God will help you to understand more and more as you obey Him. I see. Talking, I'm going to go back to 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 my my uh, myself as an example here. Um, I meant to hit these earlier. So, so these are some some just false uh, doctrines, false concepts, false belief systems that are very prevalent in the church. The first one that I wrote down is the one that that kept me bound for or had a role. I, I'm not going to give myself an excuse. I fully believe that I could have been in a very intimate relationship with the Lord and studying his word because I love him and found these things out for myself. See, I'm not going to put all of that blame in that on that system that I was brought up in. That's not right. But see, that was the other thing. One other thing that was going on was I did not have an intimate relationship with the Lord at that time, even though I was preaching, even though I was reading, reading or even though I was doing worship and all this stuff. Most of the time, the only time I cracked this book open was, was to get a message to preach. That's just full disclosure. That was the only time I spent time in His Word was for a reason. It was My motive was not pure. My motive was messed up. Now, His Word is still good. His Word is still pure. It's, it's always going to bear fruit. But my heart motives were not right during that time. So that was so that was part of that of me not being able to see those things was because I didn't get in his word for myself. I got in his word to get a message to preach. And then I closed the book and went on about my life. (laughs) So that's not right. Amen. Um, But anyway, a, a doctrine that says that you have certain you can have certain strongholds in you that we have to uh, pray and, and seek God and all these things to eventually get enough strength to push through those strongholds. It's not true. Uh, a doctrine that would say that you are just an old sinner, nothing good in you. No. Uh, anything that would excuse sin, anything that would excuse sin today is not right when you hear it. Uh, this is a really good uh, summary of these things. I think is from the Lord. I, I needs to be stitched on a or put one of the, put quotes around it and post it all over the internet or something. Anything that puts your victory in the future and it it gives you an excuse to sin today. Any 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 teaching, any doctrine, any belief system that puts your victory over sin in the future is wrong. And because it gives you an excuse to keep sinning today. That's a really good summary. Oh, that's something that all of those belief systems have in common. Uh, I'm talking about obedience. I'm sorry, I'm a little out of order. I, I just wanted to get hit those things. I, obedience to the conscience. That is how you walk free from sin, right? So in my own experience, I thank God for His mercy. thank God for His grace. I remember... <coughs> um, one time, I you know that that cycle of of conviction and 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 feeling awful and all this stuff over and over and over again, and I heard the Lord say, even in the middle of all that, He said, "If you don't stop this," He was talking about my my addiction. If you don't stop this, He said, "It's going to destroy your marriage." Now, I wasn't even married at that time. I was would have been several more years before I even got married. 
Um, but he said that very plainly to me. And, he, and the reason for that is because I was, I was joking with Ruby yesterday. I said, I'd always wanted to get married. It was kind of an oddball thing, especially for like a lot of young guys. I think maybe some, some do, some don't. But even at a young, young age, I remember I wanted to be married, you know. And so he knew how to reach me, right, in his mercy and in his grace. And he said, if you don't stop this, it's going to destroy your marriage. And so I took note of that. And so in the future, when temptation would come, and then, you know, my conscience would kick on, but I would remember what he said, and it would give me that little boost necessary to obey. And that's where, the, that's where freedom is found, in obedience. When the conscience comes on and says, don't do this, don't act this way, don't say that, don't go there. Obedience. And you walk in righteousness and you walk in freedom. Now, I did not have to have that instruction from him in order to do that. I know that now. But his mercy and his grace will reach you where you are at. Particularly, I believe, if you are believing something that is false. So I said I had that whole false belief system going on. So he, the Holy Spirit gave what he needed to do to get me to that point. But obedience, really, what I, here's what I, what, what I know to be true today, is that obedience is the key, and it is absolutely 100% empowered by the grace of God. So you hear people talking about, we can turn to the book of Titus. Give you a second to find that one. I know that's not a real common book. It's actually a wonderful book. I highly encourage you to read Titus. It's very practical, a lot of practical wisdom. Um, but people talk very much about the grace of God and how it cover, you know, it covers sin. And it, they, there's all these things that are not right. Um, but really, if you want to talk about the grace of God, I believe it's found here in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's the grace of God. That's what the grace of God does in your life, is it empowers you to live soberly, righteously, godly, today, right now. So when, when your conscience, if, if you're in a situation, whether it's road rage, whether it's lust, whether it's, I don't know what all, and that conscience comes on, and you say, I know I shouldn't, I'm, I'm not going to, I feel like I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this. Know this, that that, that decision to obey is empowered by His grace. All of heaven, His Holy Spirit comes alongside to help and, and empower you to live in that way because that is what His grace does. It empowers you to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. That is the true grace of God. Amen? It's, so, it's exciting to me that, that we have the strength to obey. You always, always, always have the strength to obey. Right? Always. I I look at my. I'm still. I'm still talking about myself here. I look at time and 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 not just with with pornography, but any any time I've failed anywhere. If I've gotten mad, if I've gotten uh, said something I shouldn't have, if I've if I've treated somebody nasty, whatever. I look back at those things every time. Every time I know that 
prior to that happening, my conscience was telling me, don't, don't do this, don't do this. And there was a willful decision for me to yield over to that temptation, whatever it might have been. Whatever it might have been, there was a there was a moment every time the Holy Ghost would take you back to it. There was a moment where you stopped pressing into righteousness and stopped pressing into obedience and just decided to let the wave. It's like an ocean wave. Let that ocean wave take you. That's how you fall into sin, because sin we've we've discussed at length has no dominion over you. You are free from it. That is who you are. And so the only way that a, a born again believer can still commit sin is by a willful act it has no dominion over you so that's so important to understand that and to believe that and not just believe you know you guys have heard me mention many times believe does not just mean i acknowledge that with my brain believe means that is who i am that is the that 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 fact it 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 shapes my life i make decisions based from that place it, has, it bears fruit in my life. That's what believing is, you know. And then the back page here, living a transformed life. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That means that we are no longer lords of our own lives. We must choose daily to die to our own desires and plans. Ultimately, we know that a fruitful life is trusting the process and outcomes to God. If we are faithful and faithful to be obedient to our conscience daily, we create patterns of fruitfulness that only grow with time. You know, and there's several verses here. These are uh, just highlights from those verses, actually. You know, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Then uh, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We already read Romans 2. We already read Romans 12. First uh, Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And I believe that you are transformed from one degree of glory to another the more and more and more we obey the instructions that God has given us. In His Word, in our personal lives, the more and more that we obey, the more we are consistently fellowshipping, fellowshipping with Him. That's how we walk from glory to glory. Uh, key points. The instant we were born again, our conscience became alive to God's law written in our heart. We are in constant contact with this voice of right and wrong. And if you don't feel that, it's possible that that maybe your conscience from from overriding it over and over again, has gotten to that point of being seared. So you can take this knowledge that you see in the Word of God and, be, and just have a moment with the Lord and say, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. And I, I'm saying that that conscience will come back online. Um, obeying or disobeying, the conscience creates habits that either desensitize us, right? It desensitizes us to God's voice or keep us sensitive to His instructions. In the same way, you know, in, in Romans it talks about whoever uh, you submit yourself, oh goodness, you, that, that, you're that you become that one's slave, whether uh, through righteousness unto holiness or sin unto death, I believe is what it says. That's in Romans 6. You can look it up. But in the, the same way, you, you obey more and more and more walking after His righteousness. You become more and more sensitive to it. 
more and more sensitive to the conscience, more and more sensitive to things that are not his heart, things that are not his his will, not okay, not good for us to be seeing and hearing and saying and all these things. But the same way you become more and more desensitized to it. That's what happened. That was that was the story of my life. I was desensitized to it. I could still hear the conscience, but then I wasn't following it. And there was all these other things that had had taken up residence in my life. There was, like I said, there was just filthy talking, the, the filthy thoughts, the pornography, the all these things, snowball effect, really. And it all comes from disobedience. I wish somebody would have told me that. <laughs> Instruction, revelation, understanding does nothing without obedience and action, right? That this is a critical point all throughout the gospel, all throughout our relationship with God is obedience and action. We can learn and learn and learn and learn and read and read and read and, and say and say and say, but if we don't ever put the rubber to the road, so to speak, and begin to act on the things that we know, obey the things that we know, you won't bear any fruit. Um, just a couple things, pretty much winding down. There was a couple things that the Lord brought to my heart that the way, the way he said it was they invite sin into your environment, right? Your environment of your life. And they all kind of come back to this first one, but as really, as we've talked about is a lack of intimacy and closeness and closeness with God on a consistent basis. That is the key to so many things in our relationship with him. But it, it truly does. It, it, you invite sin into your life by pushing him to the side. Because your eyes, your gaze is not consistently focused on him. It's not consistently focused on who he is and who he has made you to be. And, and, and all these things, all of those promises, it begins to invite sin into our environment. And some of these things are, are how it does so. Those next ones um, is, is discouragement and hopelessness. If you find yourself in a place of discouragement and hopelessness for any reason, whether you're whether it's sickness, whether it's financial problems, relationship problems, any of the problems that we have, right? We find ourselves spiraling down that <laughs> that road. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. You, you, it's kind of a spiral, right? It starts with a thought, and um, if you find if you're in that place, you stay in that place where you're constantly discouraged, constantly hopeless. It begins to invite sin in your life. In all kinds of different areas, right? But part of the a big part of the reason why we're discouraged and hopeless is because we're not in consistent fellowship with Him, right? We, we've we, we've lost our contact with Him. We've lost our gaze. Our gaze has has went to our problems, and it's not on Him. I know. I believe this that the conscience will be can be will begin to play a role in your emotions. Maybe not things that are so much sinful. But in the traditional sense, but I know now nowadays when I start to have thoughts of discouragement and thoughts of hopelessness, my conscience will come on and say, stop that. Stop it. That's not who you are. And I find myself, if I'm going to stay discouraged, I have to make the decision to be discouraged. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but even even in the middle of that, of my pity party, I can hear my conscience saying, don't do this. Stop it. This isn't right. Quit it. <laughs> so I believe his conscience, his, his witness will get involved even in those things. Discouragement, hopelessness, complaining, lack of contentment. 
and disobedience. And I would say idolatry. These are all the things, if these things sound familiar, these are the things that caused the children of Israel to stumble and fall over and over and over again. Was complaining, discouragement, hopelessness, lack of contentment, not obeying. It allowed sin to enter into their their ranks over and over and over again. So these are the things that we have to, to, to fight like a snake in our own lives. Make sure that they have no root. Complaining, lack of contentment and disobedience, idolatry. And the other, the other one I wrote down was something that Jesus said. He said that no man can serve two masters, right? Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or love the one, hate the other. He said no man can serve God and mammon. Now, mammon is a fancy word, but it basically it just means this world system of, of, of wealth and riches and, and, and the whole thing, the whole thing. And so you cannot strive and press and chase after the world system and expect that it not be an invitation for, for sin into your environment because Jesus said that you cannot serve both. So if we are, and by serving, I mean like it's, 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 it's uh, in the same way, honestly, our relationship with Christ, it should, it should possess us in a very good way of, of this is what I think about. This is what my heart this is how I make my decisions. This is what my, I base my life on. This is what I, I base my family choices on, is following after God, seeking first the kingdom, right? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, I'll probably get into this the next time I teach some, but, but the, one of the things that kept many people from following Jesus is why he said that is they, they could not give up that world system. They could not give up um, the trust in, in, in wealth and mammon and all these things. So Jesus said, you can't. You can't. It doesn't mean that you can't have those things, but if, if, our, if what's driving us and, and, and pursuing us is, is the desire to have to have it, it's off base. I'm telling you, it's off base. And, and you're inviting sin into your environment because by definition, we're not following after Him. Because He said you can't. He said you can't serve both. Doesn't mean you can't have both. That you can't serve both. So we think of serving. Serving is every day I wake up and I and I go to work for you. Basically, that's serving. Every day I wake up and I go to work. You know, I, I go to work, but I'm am telling you, it's it's a mindset where, you know, like Paul said, I've learned how to be abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to find contentment wherever I am. Right, and so to to not let that to drive and push because it's very strong i'll preach on this someday that this world man, this world has a uh, an intoxication this world has a a push has a, a a a power that is very subtle and it's very unseen but it is extremely strong and if we're not actively walking against it on purpose i'm telling you it's already got you and it's trying to pull you away that's how strong it is that's why paul said don't be uh, to be sober, to be vigilant, to redeem the time, right? And to not be... And then he goes on to say, it's kind of curious. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Well, what does that have to do? I believe it has to do with there's, there's an intoxicating factor that the world has that before we know it, we're wrapped up in it and we don't even understand how we got there. That's why he says to be sober, to be clear-minded, vigilant, always looking, you know, and then he goes on to say, redeeming the time. Because the days and the world is evil. Amen. Kind of got off track there. I think that's 
about all I had for today. But I guess to know this, if we don't, if you don't, this is, this is, I'm thinking back, this is probably one of the most important classes that we've had, honestly. They're all important and they're all very good, but, but this is, this is a good one. Okay. And to understand, I, I feel if we don't take anything else from any of the other classes to understand this, that you are free from sin and that you can walk pure, righteous, and holy in this life today. Amen. So I think that's, that's all I had to share. Let's go ahead and um, pray to close. I know we need to pray for Rob. And does anybody else have any prayer requests that want to share openly? No? Okay. Um, I know they put out an announcement about Rob. Did everybody see that? Everybody see this? So we all know, all know what's going on there. Okay. So I know we need to pray for him. Okay, Father God, we just come before you today, and we want to thank you for um, for Rob. I thank you, Father, for touching his body. Just speak strength and health and wholeness to his body in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for encouragement in his heart and in his mind that he would not worry and that he would not have any fear whatsoever of what tomorrow might bring. Father, that you keep him in the in a, a place of comfort and safety, that you keep him in a place of joy and peace, Father, in his heart and in his mind. And we just thank you, Lord, that his body is strong, that he is healed and whole and a quick recovery in the name of Jesus. I thank you for wisdom, for, for, for every decision, for any, any doctors or, or whatever that's involved. I thank you, Father, for giving them your wisdom. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And Father, we just thank you for... For each person again today, Lord, I thank you, Father, for for your word going out. I believe that it takes root and takes and begins to bear fruit in all of our hearts and all of our minds in a greater way. Father, we just thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.